Sarah is old, so I need glasses. <laughs> I will be reading for you Genesis chapter 18, 9 through 15. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, a now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for God? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. Genesis 21, 1 through 7. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when he had his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. May God bless the reading of his word. I remember when I was a child growing up and hearing a sermon about a calling, having a calling. So I began to thinking about that at seven years of age. What was my calling? Now, of course, there, the Bible talks about three different callings. There's the call to salvation. Who shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's the calling to, to worship. There's the calling to sanctification, uh, i.e. testing. But as a child, I didn't really understand all that. And it seemed like they were saying that God's going to call you to do something specific. So I started thinking about it. I decided my calling should be professional baseball. So that's what I decided my calling was going to be. I'm going to play a professional baseball, and I will pray before each game or whatever it is that I'm supposed to do. So that's what I decided was, so that's what I was going to do. <clears throat> so I started marching through my life through Little League and Dixie League, and then I got to high school, and as a freshman, I went out for the baseball team. And back then, we didn't have a JV team. It was just varsity. If you're good enough as a freshman to make it, you could make it. And I went out for the team, and I remember a few weeks later, they decided who was on the team, and I was not one of them. And I was thinking, how is this possible? I've been called to play professional baseball, and I can't even make the high school team. 
How's this supposed to be working out? God, I, I'm, I'm telling you what my calling is. I prayed about it. And seems like this is what you want me to do because this is what I want to do. And uh, I would go on through my baseball career and uh, not even play college baseball. I, I, I never fulfilled that calling because what it really was it was kind of a figment of my imagination. It was kind of what my self-declared interests were, and I was asking God to make that the calling. A lot of times I think we in our Western culture kind of determine that. We decide the calling is whatever we really want to do. But Scripture kind of paints a different picture here for us as we see the calling of Abraham. It's usually much bigger than simply a vocation or a geographical location. And can I tell you this? We're always, God's always going to call us first to know Him. Secondly, He's going to call us uh, to worship Him and to make worship, the worship of God, the primary focus of our life. And then the calling of sanctification, which usually comes through testing. And we see that here in Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah, it's very interesting and very intriguing to me because Abraham and Sarah, uh, do you realize this? They are, so to speak, the patriarch and matriarch of three major religions in the world today. In other words, if you take Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, that makes up uh, well over 50% of the world. Over 50, nearly 60% of the world would say, I am one of those three. So for most of the people in the world, not just in Christianity, not just in Judaism, but even in Islam, they look at Abraham and Sarah as the patriarch and the matriarch, as the father and mother, so to speak, of their faith. Now that's quite a statement. No one else can say that. And so as we see these promises given to Abraham and Sarah, they're significant, and we know how they have even been fulfilled today. So as we think about our calling, and as we think about the calling to worship and the calling to be sanctified, as we think about our calling and we think about the testing that God puts us through and we think about the blessings, I think this is an excellent place to start. So if you have your Bibles, look with me today at Genesis chapter 12, beginning with the first verse, and we'll see the promise, the calling, so to speak, that was given to Abraham and Sarah. Now, let's back up here. We know that Abraham and Sarah had been living in the city or the metropolitan area, so to speak, of Ur, the Chaldean area in lower Mesopotamia. And we know now from ancient uh, history and archaeology that this was the epicenter of the known world at this point, Ur. It was very, very progressive. Archaeologists now discovered that in Ur, there were homes and places that had indoor plumbing and running water, indoor water and plumbing. That there were homes that were two and three stories tall. They were opulent. It, there was much culture. There was a lot of art. There was a lot of opulence. It was a very wealthy and affluent area. And this is where Abraham and Sarah are living when they receive the call to go. I want you to go to the place 
which I will tell you. Not even telling them specifically at first where they're going. I just want you to go. I want you to leave this uh, opulent lifestyle. I want you to leave this city that is thriving and that has the, the modern amenities that no one else does. I want you to leave. And I want you to come to where I will tell you. I want you to just get up and go. And so God calls them, and they get up and they leave. And now all of a sudden, instead of living in a luxurious home, at least luxurious for that time, they're living in tents. Them and all their family. And this is the picture of what God has called them. Now, you know what's interesting? If you go back and study ancient history, though, and we don't know the exact year or the exact, we have a time frame, but we don't know the exact year that Abraham left. But we know in a time frame of about 50 to 75 years, we know that it, it, it obviously happened after Abraham left, that that city will be sacked and destroyed. Uh, there'll be uh, some eastern invaders that come in and they completely destroy that city. And so if they had stayed and disobeyed, the story would be very different for their lives, certainly. But Abraham and Sarah hear this voice of God call, and so they go, the calling the testing, the blessing. In Genesis chapter 12, beginning verse 1, we see the calling. Now the Lord said to Abraham, or Abram at this time, Abram needs a father of the people, father of a nation, and his name is going to be changed to Abraham, father of nations, of many people. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I'm going to show I want you to just pick up and I want you to start moving. Not a location. I mean, for people like me who are type A, uh, that's a very hard. You, where are we going? What are we doing? Just get up and go. Just come on. Just get up. That's what God's doing. Just get up. Matter of fact, in the King James Version, it says, get out. <laughs> and I will make you, look at the promise that he makes to him. I will make you a great nation. Now, we just talked about that a while ago. Matter of fact, he's going to make him a great nation that through the Jewish population, through the people of Jews, they're going to be a light, God's light of who Yahweh is. They are the missionaries, so to speak. They are the picture of who Yahweh is. He's going to communicate through them. He's going to demonstrate his power. He's going to demonstrate his authority and his sovereignty through the Jewish people, through the Hebrew people, through the descendants of Abraham. I will make you a great nation. I will break and I will bless you and make you a great name. Again, even today in 2018, over half the world are very familiar with the name Abraham and Sarah. So that you will be what? A blessing, a blessing to mankind. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families, all the people groups of the earth shall be blessed. And we know ultimately through the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ in the lineage of Abraham and Sarah will ultimately be the one who brings the message of hope and grace to all mankind. So we see the promise, we see the calling that's given here, a calling very specific, a calling to worship. We see Abraham as he does this, he stops and he makes altars and he worships. And we'll see him go through testing time and time again. And so in just a moment, we'll read chapter 17. But we see this calling, but what comes next is the testing. Now, let me clarify a couple things with you. There are three terms that we often use in church when we talk about 
uh, testing, temptation, and trials. Now, let me just give you Ron's definition, okay? So, testing is from God for the specific purpose of showing you and growing you. It's for the picture of showing you this is where you are and this is how I want to grow you. So sometimes we go through tests that are directly from God in order to grow us. But then there are trials. And trials are the everyday things that happen in life because we live in a sinful, fallen world. It's where cancer and disease come from. The trials of life. They're not always necessarily directly from God, but because we live in a sinful humanity, these things happen and trials happen in relationships and they happen through other people's bad choices. And so they are just things that are always going to happen. And then there's temptation. And temptation, we know, comes from the evil one. The Bible tells us very clearly. And what he does is he wants to not only show you, but disqualify you, dishonor you, to persuade you, to walk away, to discourage you during trials and tests. See, Satan wants you to fail. God wants you to succeed. And so what are the tests that we see Abraham? Well, the first one, he, he's called and he goes. He hears the call and he goes. And he's told where to go to. And he finally ends up in Canaan. But when he gets to Canaan, there's, there's a severe famine. So he leaves Canaan and he goes down to Egypt. And before he gets into Egypt, Instead of trusting God, this is a test time, he looks at his wife, who's very beautiful, who has an exotic look, and he knows, you know what, the Egyptians are going to be interested in you, and I don't want them to kill me and take you, so tell them that you're my sister. You can imagine how encouraged that uh, Sarah was at this point about her husband's loyalty. Just tell them you're my sister. In actuality, it was his half-sister. But they get there, and God, through his sovereign mercy, the Pharaoh has a dream, and he recognizes what's happened, and so Sarah is released, and, and uh, Abraham is released, and by the time they get back, the famine is gone. And then there, he's tested again. He, he's made this promise that, hey, to Abraham and Sarah, look, we're going to be blessed, and God's going to use us, and he's going to father a brand new nation through us. But Sarah's getting older and older. Abraham's getting older and older, and so Sarah comes and says, how about this? How about we use Hagar, my maidservant, and you can have a child by her, and we'll, we'll just say this is all one big happy family. We'll be together. And by the way, this is, a, an, a, this is a, a, a picture of polygamy, which the Bible never condones, and it never goes well for anybody that gets married to more than one woman. It just never goes well. And in this situation, we see it. That all seems well and good. Then the baby comes, and Hagar gets an attitude, Sarah gets jealous, and it's just not going well at all because they decided to go their way. God, you, we know you made this promise. We're going to have to help you make this happen, but that's not what happens at all. And so there's a test that they don't do so well in. And then we continue, and they're still wondering, and God comes and he affirms, and here we are. We see in chapter 17 of the book of Genesis and God said to Abraham, he reaffirms this promise and this covenant to him. He says, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall call her her name. She shall be not Sarah, but Sarah. So again, princes of my family or of my people to princes of many people. I will bless her moreover, and I will give you a son by her. I want you to understand it's coming by her. I don't need you to go around me. I don't need you to give up. I need you to believe and to trust me. I will bless her, and she shall become nations, 
kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and he laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? Sarah, who is 90 years old? How can that happen? God, this would be a miracle. And God said, that's exactly right. And there'll be one that comes after you, Mary, whom it would be a miracle for her to have a child, having not been with a man, but the miracle occurs. And so here's Abraham laughing in disbelief. It sounds so wonderful, but how can it be true? Do you mean by my other son? And literally, as we continue this passage, we see him say that. And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. I understand, God. I, I, I got the promise. Here it is, through Ishmael. And God said, no, but Sarah, no, no, exactly what I said. But your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, which we know means laughter. And, we establish, and I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant. For his offspring after him. It's your calling. It's the promise that I've made to you, Abraham. And I know there are tests. I am growing you. I am perfecting you. I am putting you into the image of one that all will look at to see. I need you to trust me. And here's the word again. The word that I know it's hard for you to believe, but believe because I am God. And I am telling you. And then we go to chapter 18. And in chapter 18, um, we see that the Lord appears to him, to Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre. And as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day, he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. Now, this is unusual because it's a very hot climate in the middle of the day. It's siesta time. It's time to at least to go in and cool off and have some refreshments and wait for the heat to die down. But Abraham looks out and he sees three men and he knows this is unusual and they appear different. He's in a land that's not his own and so he would have naturally shown hospitality, but he also knows there's something different about these guys. And so when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, Oh Lord, if I found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree." Abraham knows. He's heard the voice of God. He's experienced the presence of God before, and he knows something is going on here. And so he says, hey, come and stay with me. Let me get you some snacks. Let me get you a little drink and a little snack, and uh, just rest here for a moment, and then you can go on. But he does far more than get him a snack. This is a classic example of undercommit and overdeliver. Uh, so we see that while I, because he said, I'll bring you a morsel and then you can pass on since you have come to your servants. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah. Now, remember, Sarah has not heard these revelations from God before. And I believe this revelation is for Sarah. That's the reason. We've just heard it before and uh, in chapter 17. But now here's one for Sarah. Here's one that Sarah will hear herself. And the Bible says what? It says, while I, and he says, so do as you have said in verse 6. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three seas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf and tender, tender and good and gave it to the young man who prepared it quickly. And so then he took curds and milk 
and the calf that he had prepared, and he set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. So he's created a feast. I mean, meat is an incredible luxury, particularly uh, what would be we would call venison today. So he has really rolled out the red carpet because he knows there's something significant. He would have showed them honor. He would have showed them respect and hospitality anyway, but he's going over the top. He senses there's something more here. And so the Bible says, then they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. Now, even today, if you're on the other side of a tent, you can hear pretty well, okay? So they're not asking this because they, so we know this is a theophany or a Christophany of God and two angels. We know that now. Uh, But at this point, uh, they're not asking because they don't know. They're asking for Sarah's benefit. Where is Sarah? She is in the tent. In other words, she's going to hear everything that's said. And the Bible says that the Lord said, surely I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah is listening. And the Bible says, at the tent door behind him, now Abraham and Sarah were old and advanced in years in the way of the woman. In other words, she's been through her cycle. And the way of the woman has ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, just like Abraham did. Sarah laughs. Oh, that I wish that could be true. Oh, how I wish. And she said to herself, I'm worn out. My husband is old. Shall I have this pleasure? And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? I mean, that's probably hard. Sarah doesn't realize who they are. She's laughing within her spirit. She's not just boo-hoo laughing out loud. Um, She's not giggling. She's laughing within herself. And the Bible says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Matter of fact, your translation might say, is anything too wonderful? Is anything too much for the Lord? At the appointed time, I'll return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh. Why? Because she was afraid. But just so you know that I know, just so you know that this is divinity speaking to you, know that you did laugh. I want you to trust this promise. I want you to know it's true. I hear even your hidden laughs behind the, the tent door that's not even uh, audible. I know. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're feeling. But I want you to know, Sarah, this is for you. I brought this promise for you. I've given it to your husband. Now I'm giving it to you because I'm a God of mercy and of grace. And although Abraham is the leader of this family, I am giving this to you. I'm going to use you mightily. I'm going to bless you. And then we go to chapter 21 in the book of Genesis And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time, of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore bore him, Isaac. Laughter. And Abraham circumcised him and his son Isaac when he was eight days old. You remember who else got circumcised when they were eight days old? Jesus. Uh, And this begins the practice of circumcision uh, that identifies them as a unique people. And Abraham circumcised his son when he was eight days old. And as God 
had commanded him. And Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. I had a laughter of disbelief, but now I have a laughter of joy, a laughter of blessing. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. They will laugh. They will be joyous. They will proclaim. They will celebrate the power and the might of the Lord. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. We see the calling of Abraham and Sarah. A calling that seems so wonderful. But then a lot of time begins to pass. And Sarah and Abraham are getting older and older and older. There are tests that come their way that would suggest maybe you misunderstood. Maybe you missed it. Maybe God meant this. Maybe God meant that. But in fact, God's word had been clear and plain and true, even though it didn't seem possible. Can I tell you this? That one of the tests that often come to us as believers in Christ Jesus is when something comes into our life that to trust God and to follow God, it just doesn't seem reasonable. If I tell the truth here, it will cost me this much money. If I tell the truth or if I stand for my values, it will cost me positionally. If I do what I feel like God is leading me to do, there are so many people who won't understand. That's always a test, and we endure with that. We endure that today. Before the blessing always comes the testing. There's the calling, there's the testing, there's the blessing, and then after you get the blessing, it's never through. There are more tests to come. Sometimes there are even additional callings to come, but we know this. God has called us as believers to salvation. God has called us to worship Him, and God has called us to sanctification, which usually has a lot of testing involved. What about you? Where are you in this process today as a believer? Tolstoy tells the story of two older Jewish men who were in their early 70s, who knew they wouldn't live a lot longer and knew they would not have the health to go much further if they, and that they only had this one opportunity to go to Jerusalem, to make their pilgrimage as a Jew to Jerusalem. They had never been before. Their children were grown and their health was still with them, but probably not for much longer. And so they agreed to take this three-month journey to Jerusalem from, from Russia. So they began to walk and to begin to to take their travels. And as they traveled, after they had gone about six weeks, they came to this village. And it seemed dark and gloomy, even though it was the middle of the day. They heard no sounds. They heard no one. And they smelt this stench coming from this hut. And they walked into this hut. And there they were horrified to see four bodies in there that they thought were dead. But as they looked closer, they realized they weren't dead, but they were gasping for life. So they began to bring water to them. They cooked some food, and they began to, to give them food and water. And slowly, they began to see some light come to their eyes. And then they found out it wasn't just them. It was the entire village. And as they went from hut to hut, there were hundreds of people. One of the men said, Brother, how will we make our journey, of which we feel like we've been called to do? He said, if we stay here and 
and continue to work. These other four, they'll eventually get better, and they can help, they can help the others get better. And the younger said, no. He said, uh, you go on. He said, I'll catch up with you in a few weeks. I want to stay and help. But you go on if you need to. And so the elder man went on. And the younger man stayed, and he helped those families. And day in and day out, he would haul water from the river and make sure everyone was well hydrated. He would cook meals and food for hundreds of people. And he spent his days and his nights just ministering and feeding and watering till the time that they could stand on their own and they could begin to take care of themselves. Meanwhile, the older man in Jerusalem stayed for a couple of months, but then he decided it was time to return home. He'd waited for his friend, but he never came. And on his way back, he came to a village that looked vaguely familiar. And sure enough, it was the village that he had come to before. And in this village, there were children laughing and playing in the streets. There were people cooking and buying and trading and selling. And he began to ask, have you heard of my friend Ephraim, whom I left here? And they said, yes, yes, we know him well. What happened to him? Well, he stayed and he cooked for us and he gathered food for us and he provided water for us until we all were nourished back to health. And, but at the end of it, most of his health was gone and he could barely walk. He was so exhausted. And so a couple of our people put him on a wagon and they took him back to his home in, in Russia. And the moral of the story goes like this. We can determine our calling is some place that we have to get to. But often our calling is what God brings into our life. What about you today? Where are you in that process of calling? Maybe some of you are in that process of testing. Maybe some of you are in the position of blessing. Can I tell you? God wants to use you right where you are. Would you pray with me? Wherever you go, God is sending you. Wherever you are, God has put you there. God has a purpose in you being right where you are today. Christ, who indwells you by the power of the Spirit, wants to do something in and through you. Believe this and go in His grace, His love, His power, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Father, we recognize our need for you. And we thank you, Father, that you have called us into salvation. And Lord, if there are those here today that have not come to know you, I pray today would be the day that you draw them to know your grace and faith and forgiveness. Others, Father, who you have called are going through testing and trials with a lot of answers, but a lot of questions. God, I pray that you would sustain them, that you would let them know that the God who's called them to salvation is perfecting and growing us, using us where we are in the trials and in the tribulations of life that come. 
And Lord, I thank you for the blessing. The blessing, it's like a knight kneeling before a king who is blessed because he's passed the tests, because he's been faithful. That word in the Hebrew literally means to kneel, to bless. God, I pray that we would most find our significance when we trust you to use us right where we are, to be faithful, to endure the difficult times, to endure the blessings that we're given, and yet be found as faithful to our calling to worship, to be sanctified, to bless others. Just as you called Abraham to be a blessing to the people, so have you called us to be a blessing to those in whom you have placed us around. May that be true for us today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.